Welcome to the first of the podcasts from our seminar workshop series, New Concepts, New Challenges, New Formats, Envisaging the Creative Work, Artistic PhD in an African Research University. I'm Christo Doherty, and I'll be in dialogue today with Professor Gerrit Ulefier. The question that we're going to be exploring is why the Creative Work PhD at WITS. Welcome everybody to the first of our dialogues in the Mellon PhD supervision series here at the Witt School of Arts. And in this first dialogue we're going to be exploring the question, why a creative work PhD at Wits? Why has it happened? What was the intentions behind establishing such a degree? And what are the parameters that we've been set? And I'm going to be speaking today to Professor Gerrit Olafir, who is probably the key figure in getting both creative work recognized here at the university and for the subsequent introduction of the creative PhD, or as we should put it, a PhD that includes creative work. And Gerrit was also a member of the task force that took these deliberations further to get the Department of Higher Education to recognize creative work as deserving of research subsidy. And apart from his role in establishing getting creative work recognized here at the university, I think Gerrit's a particularly appropriate person to be speaking about the background because of his long experience within the university. He was previously the head of the Department of Afrikaans and Dutch here at Wits, and from 1989 was the chair of that department, and he went on to become the Dean of the Faculty of Arts in 1996, and then the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Humanities when the university was reorganized into schools and faculties in 2001. And he has also served two years as the head of WZOA and was chair of the Academic Staff Association and the WITS branch of the Union of Democratic University Staff Associations. So Gerrit, great pleasure speaking to you about this. Let's start, and I think we should recognize that the drive to get creative work recognized as research preceded the PhD. Could you talk about where and what prompted this drive to, to get the university to recognize creative work as research and not merely as a form of practice that happened on the periphery of university activity? Yes, I think we need to understand that there was a time when the university gave very little recognition to creative work, except sometimes on a fairly ad hoc basis. I remember once someone was asking the research office now, this work of mine, will it be recognized in, as research? And they said, no, put it on your website. So creative work was more or less seen as things that people do, artists do, to keep themselves and others entertained. There were actually three steps in this process. The first was an amendment to the faculty standing orders on appointment confirmation and promotion. Previously it would on occasion happen that someone would get promotion. I remember John Miles in the Department of Afrikaans. He was someone who was a famous novelist but he he didn't write academic articles and he was promoted to associate professor. 
But it was in the early 90s that the faculty rewrote its standing orders to give formal recognition to creative work within the framework of processes of confirmation and promotion. So that was, in a way, the first step, and those standing orders remain virtually the same to this day, to the best of, of my knowledge. Then, some years later, I can't even remember an exact moment, but as time went on, questions were being asked about why we give no formal recognition to creative work within the framework of research. Now, there's a whole debate about is creative work by itself research, or is it an equivalent of or a substitute for research? Whatever the case may be, the faculty then managed, and this had to be accepted and approved by Senate, that research incentive money could be given to artists, to creative work, and to works that had been peer-reviewed properly, even though there was at that stage not even a question of government subsidy. So it was a kind of internal subsidization of creative work, and I think people around the table, many of them, would be quite familiar with that process where you submit your creative work and that is then assessed by reviewers appointed by the faculty. Gerrit, can I just interrupt? Just to open our focus a bit wider, it seems to me a key intra-university development was that symposium that was called in 2007 and that was at Stellenbosch at the Montfleur estate And what's interesting to me about that is that Stellenbosch put research money into that that event and that this was the first time that the universities which had already begun, as I understand, subsidizing creative research from their internal budgets, the first time that these universities got together under the leadership of then Sandra Klopper at Stellenbosch to present a unified approach to government, to the Department of Higher Education. And you were quite a radical voice, as I understand it, in those discussions. Well, maybe thank you for the compliment, a radical voice. And there were two views that I have always strongly taken. The one is that one should recognize creative work for its own value, and not because it's supposed to be something else. I will expand on that. And the second is I've always proposed that we need a very simple mechanism for this recognition. Remember at that time many South African universities, if not most, were already having internal mechanisms for encouraging and rewarding creative research. The question at that symposium is what could be done in order to gain national recognition within the research subsidy framework of the Department of Education. That was our focus. And there was an incredible amount of consensus there, surprisingly, in some ways, for a kind of one-page proposal, maybe with supporting documents. And that we would really propose something very similar to people writing book chapters in books that had not necessarily been peer-reviewed, but that 
item could then be given special consideration by way of peer review, that you would, you would just introduce that mechanism. The history of that is somewhat complex because that proposal never went anywhere. And I've never understood why. I guess it was because the people driving it started talking to too many other people and started adding and subtracting and finally, I think, got themselves confused as to what was supposed to happen. And then the matter changed when the Department of Education itself took the initiative. And this, I remember very well, happened while Mary Metcalf was the Director General. And I remember a conversation with her saying, well, you know, this thing is going nowhere. And we sit in an anomalous situation where people can get a rating as researcher for creative work, and yet in universities there's no formal subsidy. We sit in an anomalous situation where universities and the government are quite happy for artists and musicians to teach at universities and brag about their achievements in public without giving them decent recognition and support. And we sit with a further anomaly that worldwide there is now an increasing recognition of the value of creative work, I think maybe most strongly in Australia, and yet we don't seem to be even talking about this. A working group was established by the Department of Higher Education and Training. That was chaired by Brenda Schmarman, and I was on it, and the brief to the committee was we want to subsidize creative work, just tell us how, give us a mechanism. And that's where we are now, that mechanism is there, and as from next year the university will receive research subsidy for peer-reviewed creative work. And I guess there will be something of a backlash from the scientists once they fully understand that this will not be extra money it's not going to be extra money. The research subsidy is ultimately determined by how much money the government has. And it has, for example, never ever given the full amount due for peer-reviewed journal articles. It's always given something less than that. So the, the pie will be sliced in a different way. I'm quite prepared to defend that. I think it is a development long overdue. Now, within what we have now, just to, before I get to the creative PhD, we've got a very clumsy document. It's actually a kind of cut and paste from the enormously overlong document produced by the working group. That's a battle I certainly lost. I wanted something short, something brief, something lucid and coherent. We now have every discipline doing its own thing in that document. But there are two things there that I, I find uh, uh, quite unacceptable. The one is that no creative work may receive more than two subsidy points, whereas in other fields you can obviously get more. I can off the top of my head think of creative achievements that are worthy of more than two. So that's the one. And the other which shows that we ultimately not really trusted is there must be three instead of two peer reviewers. Uh, you never know what these artists are up to, so let's just build in an additional safeguard. 
But to return to the creative PhD, in the course of all these conversations and documents being drafted and discussions, there was in a way an obvious question, why don't we also consider a different kind of PhD of which creative work could form an integral part? And out of many discussions came then a proposal to Senate. I went to Senate to defend it and I was very surprised that it met with very little resistance. We were asking there for approval for the design of different kinds of degrees, separate degrees for disciplines in the field of arts. And Senate did us in fact a good favour by refusing to approve that. Instead it said we do not want to tinker with a PhD. The PhD will remain what it is but this PhD all we really saying is the PhD can include a creative portfolio. And the way in which that is then done, that's a matter for the, the, the faculties. The faculties must write their standing orders and their sort of description of this new thing and Senate will not be bothered. This also means that the single seminal requirement for the PhD remains right in the middle of this. The PhD is a contribution to knowledge. Apart from it also having to be properly presented, it must be a contribution to knowledge. And I want us to really um, hold on to that. I think it is actually important and worth reflecting upon. So then uh, Wazawa wrote its standing orders and the creative writing program followed suit. And others have not done this. There is an interest, I know, in architecture and design in this kind of PhD, but they've not done any work, as far as I know. But a year ago, no work had been done to describe that within the faculty. So that's where we stand. One thing perhaps is worth mentioning, the Senate that day, uh, or someone in Senate asked, but why can't you recruit accomplished artist and give them the recognition for the creative component for work already done. And that was actually written into our standing orders and also into the standing orders of creative writing. They had one such candidate and it was in fact a difficult episode because in order to be admitted the candidate's already published work had to be examined as if it were a submission to the PhD and the readers said no it wasn't it wasn't up to standard so that poured a little bit of cold water on the enthusiasm for that proposal we haven't done that although it's standing there as a possibility we haven't done that and my personal view is it's maybe a possibility that we should drop when the standing orders are, are redesigned. So after <laughs> the surprising acceptance of the idea of creative work being part of the PhD submission by Senate, which I must say when you told me about that, I was also surprised. I mean, one usually understands this as a source of tension with the established sciences, that they would jealously guard 
their notion of research from dilutation or infiltration by creative work. But it seems that's not been the case here at FITS. The financial implications of this generosity presumably is still going to become apparent and it might change then, but it's now on the books. If you could talk us through the way that the faculty standing orders conceptualize creative work and the relationship, I think, which is particularly one of debate in many of our discussions between the written component and the creative work. And if I could add one other aspect to ask you whether this was considered. In all of the documentation around assessment of creative work prior to the PhD, this is just assessment of creative work for subsidy purposes, there was always the requirement that the work should have been in the public domain, either through performance or exhibition. Is that in any way still written into the standing orders or have things become more relaxed around creative work in the PhD? Things may have become more relaxed, as far as I know, or don't know. <laughs> but it's certainly not envisaged by the standing orders that work should not be out there in the public domain. And I don't think it should be envisaged in that way. Look, the standing orders, uh, I mean, I will not go into sort of the details of, of, of the standing orders, but, but they were sort of some really crucial things. The first is that the standing orders do say, well, it sounds so horrible, standing orders, but that's the conceptualization as reflected in the standing orders, that there must be a coherence between the written component and the creative work, that in some way those components must hang together such that they can be examined together. So that's, I think that's really quite key. The second thing is that if you ask what that relationship would then be, what the standing orders say about that is, in a way, it, it's still my opinion, I, maybe not surprisingly because I wrote those orders, is that the relationship between what I will call the thesis component and the creative work must be specified and articulated in the proposal. So we did not want to confine or restrict the possibilities. And that what the written component has to do, it has to contextualize or contribute to contextualizing the work with reference to the genre, to a wider field of knowledge, to history, whatever. But the, the work has to, the written work must address an aspect that is pertinent to the creative work. That leaves it very wide open and I think I would be opposed to any attempt to close that down. It makes it in a way more difficult. But one can maybe just do a comparison quickly with other models of this kind of PhD. Mm. I mean, there's the famous sort of studio-based PhD, which is highly structured. I think Goldstone has that, where you actually work on the premises in a studio. There's a very clear progression, timelines, and a very clear expectation that whatever is written will be a commentary on the work that's been done. The other model that uh, pops up 
from time to time is the kind of it's really a social science model where creative work is seen as some kind of experiment that you start with a research question and then you you sort of execute the research or the, the creative work in order to test the validity of the research question and then come to a conclusion. And I've seen proposals, someone working in the theatre, working out a kind of initial idea, let's call it a hypothesis, I'm going to perform Chekhov's Cherry Orchard as farce. And then you do it. And then you have, obviously you have to assess whether that's been a successful experiment. And then there are even issues such as testing the audience experience. I don't think that is exciting. I think that is, in a way, research in the creative field mimicking the models of the social sciences. That idea has been long around that that's what you really do. You just do it in a different field. I think the matter is more complex and more exciting than that. Because my experience, my sense and my experience is that what is the intellectual heart of this PhD? What makes it different and special? It is the question of the relationship between discursive activity and creative work, which any candidate in the PhD has to reflect upon and has to engage with at some point. What does it mean as an artist to work intellectually and discursively in relation to my own work, even if it's not in a relationship of direct commentary? And how do those two modes of knowledge production get articulated in a product that hangs together, where the parts actually are not just two separate parts, but enlighten, cast a sort of new light on each other. And if I can add one or two more comments about that, I think in the Masters in Fine Arts, I think there's, a, there's sometimes an issue with the Masters there. Students do creative work and then they write a kind of reflective essay. We find the same in creative writing. And there's a huge question about what that discursive writing could then be. And we sometimes assume that people will find a way. And they will. And they do. But it's actually a very complex issue to write about your own work. From a hermeneutical point of view, it requires a great deal of subtlety and reflection and respect to do that properly. So my belief is that kind of engagement with the relationship between doing, making, and writing will always be a core intellectual question underpinning this new kind of PhD. And the way in which people finally end up doing that, because there's no obvious path, I think is, is what makes it a very interesting animal. Yes. I mean, many disciplines' understanding of the doctorate is it's where you do advanced and increasingly specialized work. Mm. Someone who has a doctorate in 
a science discipline would be a person who's become extremely specialized to great depth in a particular aspect of the discipline. Is that an appropriate model for us to understand the creative work PhD, particularly in the context of a school of arts which is so potentially interdisciplinary? I can imagine PhDs that do that, that go into very fine detail of, let's say, a new technology. I think Jonathan Crossley in music did something like that, and that becomes, as far as I know, a new specialization, new design. But I think most of the PhDs that I have seen tend to wander a little bit more widely and think of the work within a broad framework of its relationship to other disciplines within the arts, to other fields of knowledge. My sense is that artists end up at a point where they have the desire to write in relation to their own work. That desire mostly is not a desire to become more specialist. It's much more a desire to make connections to other fields, other forms of knowledge, other people, other artists. I think it works more that way. And Gerrit, what really interests me, and it's, it's been implicit in you talking about the early developments, is what is the relationship between this impulse to get creative work recognized, to establish the creative work PhD, what is the relationship between that and larger global developments? Why, why w- was it happening here at WITS and in other South African universities in around about 2005, 2006? I perhaps don't have the expertise to answer that, but the fact of the matter is that if one looks historically, the marginalization of creative work as a contribution to knowledge is a relatively new thing. It's never been like that. It's always been accepted, really, as at the heart of intellectual activity. So the situation as it was at Witz, where you know the artists were sitting over there in the wedge making work, while the rest of the university was doing research and serious activity, that is, in a way, a relatively bizarre thing. What someone could perhaps one day do, and I'm sure it has been done, but it might be useful to do that in relation to this particular conversation, is a look at the various ways in which art has been accepted and theorized as a contribution to knowledge in the past. Just off the top of my head, I can think of the famous Ernst Cassirer in The Logic of the Humanities, with his idea of the symbolic form, where he defends very, very passionately the idea that art is the making of knowledge in a different mode, but it still is the making of knowledge. Slightly more esoteric was Benedetta Croce, who said uh, with his idea of intuition expression, where he sees art as knowledge, but knowledge produced and understood in different ways than 
in the models of, let's say, the uh, exact sciences or even the social sciences. Our evidence is a different kind of evidence, but it is still evidence. Uh, our way of engaging with it is less straightforward than of the hard scientists, but I see this actually, uh, if one asks what are these developments, what do they have in common? I think it's the reintegration of the arts into the academy that we are talking about. It's the end of the marginalized position. And I, I think it would be very interesting for PhD to emerge that actively work across various disciplines and make room, expand our horizons. But certainly if it's been a trend in universities, I see Harvard has done the same. They have done a, they now have a PhD in finance. I imagine seeing that recently and looking at how it's described and thinking that that's the most embarrassing description that I've ever come across from a major university, and this is Harvard. So I think we're at a moment where it's enough sort of sense of sitting on the sidelines of the academy with the acceptance of art and the making of art as an intellectual activity and not just being jumped upon by the muse. Gerrit, can we open up for a question? Jeremy Wafer. The question that seems to me to arise is a fairly fundamental one. If the making of art itself is this space where knowledge is created, uh, it becomes a site for the knowledge to be uh, communicated and to be interacted with. I mean, why do the writing? One, if the work itself is the site of this knowledge, the site where this knowledge is made, surely then the logic is that the presentation of the work itself is the public presentation of that knowledge. It seems to me that the tacking on of, the tacking on of writing is a kind of accommodation, and this is a perhaps a political view, accommodation to the expectations of the academy as it actually exists. Clearly there, there are issues with how one would you know, set up processes of examination, etc, etc, etc. I suppose this question is partly underpinned by the definition that the NRF itself has held since the late 90s actually, that artworks themselves are taken to be research among a whole number of other modes of working. So why is the writing then needed at all? I think it is possible to launch an argument that creative work is that knowledge and that any attempt to explain it in words is, is in a sense uh, redundant. I have to say that I don't think one is ever going to get that accepted as a PhD. I also think that historically the PhD is understood to be an argument, or at least partially an argument. It's not the demas where you can do composition, and that's the explanation of the knowledge that went into it. So I, th I think in that respect, Jeremy, it's probably correct that this is the way in which the university can accommodate the matter. But then it strikes me how often 
how the expectation that the artist must be articulate in relation to his or own work has become part of the artwork itself. Artist statements, you can barely go to an exhibition without some explanation provided by the artist. So it's not peculiar to the university. So that may be a sign of the times, and I think one could have a debate about that, but it certainly would seem to me that it's happening all over the place, the artists talking about their work, and then often not talking with a sufficient sensitivity towards the pitfalls of that talking. Then it also strikes me how often major artists have felt the desire or the need to articulate something about their work. So I don't want to be defensive, but I will respond to this in, in two ways by saying, one, that it certainly is correct that the existence of a PhD is at odds with the view that research is knowledge in itself. There is a tension there. But then I would also say that if one looks at how things operate in the art world, that doesn't seem to me a completely alien imposition to say that talking, writing about art is something foreign. Um, Jackie McInnes. I actually just wanted to read a paragraph that's in my proposal, and it quotes very much from a, a writer by the name of Marit Makela, that pretty much answers what we're talking about here. She links art making and the production of knowledge, believing art to be a dialogue concerning the ideas, histories, and ethical philosophies that the artist and the viewer has a stake in and an opinion about. The art object should not be the aim of the project, but should function as a conduit to that which is intangible, that which can only be conceived, perceived, recognized, or understood, to offer the answer to the research question posed. Mikado thereby implies that the art object can become the embodiment of the research question while simultaneously asserting that the art object alone cannot embody knowledge. This, she believes, must be achieved through the process of interpretation, which should be staged within the context of the written thesis. That's quite a nice explanation. <laughs> I just want to pick up on one point which I thought I heard towards the end in that quote. It seems implied in that quote that the thesis will be in an interpretation of the creative work, and that's not what we insist on. This PhD does not say that your written work will be a direct comment on the creative work. It does say that the written work must be a reflective a reflection, an essay on a theme that's pertinent to the creative work. And I think there's in a way an obvious reason for that and that is that artists very often find it very difficult to enter the position of reader of their own work in any way that implies an authoritative position. I also think that some of the most boring stuff I've ever read is stuff by people who have tried to explain in detail 
why they made a work in a certain way. So we tried to give the, the artist the space to write cogently about a topic in relation to the work without being forced to comment directly on how and why that work was made. My name is Pietro Jans van Vieren from Drama for Life. My question is, what have we learned about the implementation of trying to make this creative PhD work that is asking us to revise the standing orders? Have our experiences asked us now to revise the current standing orders and to what? I, I think there is probably a need to look at those standing orders and maybe the one question that can be put is whether we can be slightly more specific about the various kinds of relationship between the creative work and the writing. Because it's not really very clear there. I think the other interesting question to me that we haven't actually discussed today is whether in the written work you will insist on an orthodox form of scholarship and whether you will accept a slightly more flexible form such as the academic essay which allows for greater freedom than, the, shall I say, the strict model of orthodox scholarship. But I think there are many ways in which one can write about creative work that do make a contribution to knowledge and that do not necessarily follow traditional protocols. I mean, in William Kentridge's six drawing lectures might be an example of that. It meanders <laughs> and yet it never loses touch with a consideration of the process of making and it certainly is a contribution to an understanding of drawing. So I'm, I'm thinking about your experience as well with trying to let artists submit existing work to be interpreted as a PhD. Was the consideration there that they also needed to submit a piece of writing alongside that? What what happened there and why well, we've never did we decide we've not We've never to? accepted a PhD candidate on the basis of only of previous work. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a fundamental assumption of every PhD that the work is done while being registered for the PhDs, produced as part of that process. Mm -hmm. Of making a PhD, so we've never we've never had such an example. So the example you talked about was no, no, that was that was someone seeking promotion. Oh. That was not a PhD. Oh, that okay. was something saying on the basis of my creative achievement, I'm interested in promotion. Oh, okay. And that, that was, was one of the first right? examples of the faculty explicitly acknowledging and recognizing creative work which it then considered to be sort of the equivalent of or the substitute of a research portfolio. Yeah, that's different. Just to be sure we're all talking about the same thing, that was an example of something that went right, and, but earlier on you talked about in another department, it wasn't our creative PhD, where because the standing orders leave the door open for published work to be con considered. Yeah, the standing orders allowed for a candidate to be submitted on the basis of creative work, but without having to do the creative work, saying we already acknowledge your excellent excellence as an artist. Now logically that can only be done and 
did happen in that instance, then you have to give the work to people to read. The work then has to be examined, as it were, for admission. Admission towards to the PhD. PhD or to be the PhD? No, not the PhD. That candidate would still have to have written a thesis. But it can stand for the creative component. That's what the standing orders used to say in creative writing. And that's what that candidate was trying <coughs> to yes, achieve. Yes, and it didn't succeed. But it didn't fail on principle. It failed because the work was... The candidate proceeded and not found. to do the... the to write something different as part of the PhD. Which then didn't... Which passed. Okay. Oh, which passed. Took another track. Took another track. Okay. How I mean, you? realistically, one right. has to say the following. that To say that all the work must be done as part of the PhD is somehow but theoretical. Because people are constantly making work. And what they submit for purposes of being admitted into the PhD is often work that they've already started. But the assumption is that you cannot enter the degree wholly on the basis of previous creative work in such a way that you're not expected to do any creative work but only the, the, the thesis part. Gerrit, thank you very much for this first dialogue in our series. I think a very important foundational discussion and hopefully we can continue to take it further. You've been listening to a dialogue between myself, Christo Doherty, and Professor Gerrit Olofier. This is part of an ongoing series of discussions, seminars and workshops under the theme New Concepts new challenges, new formats, envisaging the creative work, artistic PhD in an African research university. This podcast was produced by Elna Schutz and was funded by the Andrew F. Mellon Foundation as part of their funding for the Arts Research Africa project in the Witt School of Arts, University of the Witwatersrand. The song used in this podcast is Music for Mantis by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.